Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you are local, check us out. Our church website is calvary316.com. Our Sunday service is at 1030, and we'd love for you to come and be our guest. I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour as we seek to do what we do every week, and that is deconstruct the negative perceptions that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and a genuine way. I have personally had something very interesting happen uh, over the last month or so um, that I want to share, I want to talk to you about, because it leads to a discussion of a much larger topic that I think a lot of people have have wrong, or maybe not have wrong, but at least don't fully understand. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from a dear friend. I'm going to change some of the names here. Uh, his name is Brandon. Uh, he is a dear brother. I actually sat with Brandon in a parking lot of a wings joint and led Brandon uh, to Jesus, introduced him to Jesus. I've been there to see uh, his family grow. I've baptized Brandon. I've baptized his wife, Amy. I've baptized uh, several of their children, uh, just really intertwined with their family. Good folk, good friends, beyond friends, they're their family. Well, Brandon called me a few weeks ago and I could tell right off the bat, just by the sound of his voice, uh, that things weren't okay. Things weren't good. Uh, this, a lot of complicated aspects to the story, but to make the long story shorter, uh, Brandon and Amy's son, um, his girlfriend who was pregnant, um, started bleeding. Uh, it was an emergency. Uh, they were about a month early from when the baby was supposed to be due uh, they called 911, paramedics showed up, they rushed her to the hospital, um, they immediately um, induced this baby had to come out. Um, sadly, things weren't good. Um, the mother, they were able to deal with the issues related there, she ended up being fine, uh, but all the attention, all of the concern uh, went to baby John, who was alive but not doing well. They didn't really know how long the infant had been in the womb without oxygen. And so the chief concern, aside from infections and whatnot, uh, was A, the fever, uh, but also the swelling of the brain. Um, I prayed with Brandon. We talked the next day. Things had kind of gone from bad to worse. The prognosis was not good. Uh, that first night, Baby John had about a 50-50 chance to survive. When I talked to Brandon the following evening, uh, things had gotten even worse than that. As a matter of fact, things had kind of gotten to the point that when Brandon and I were talking, as his pastor, he, he wanted to know how he should go ahead and prepare himself, prepare his family and son um, for the death of an infant. I mean, you can't imagine this is his first grandson, um, the fear, the worry, uh, the pain of just watching this little one struggle um, on a ventilator. Uh, they had to cool the body down, uh, try to alleviate the swelling. Uh, when I talked to Brandon the second night, it was it was bleak. Uh, immediately, we notified all of the church folks, the church family, 
of what was going on. Uh, we got everyone praying for baby John. And over the next really week, a miracle took place. Not only did the swelling subside, but when they were finally able to get uh, baby John awake, where they could run tests to see what effects this might have had on the brain, uh, he started passing things with flying colors, really to the surprise of the nurses and the doctors. You see, best case scenario, if John survived, uh, was that he was going to have um, some serious mental handicaps. It's been a month, and the latest uh, test showed that there's no problems whatsoever. I mean, we're talking about a total and a complete healing. Now, people have been praying for baby John. And it's easy for us to conclude that baby John would have died if not for our prayers. But I think that that's a bit twisted and a bit warped and really, truth be told, paints God in kind of an unflattering light. And so I want to take today's episode in light of, of this particular experience, in light of a miracle that took place and the prayers of a church community for this little one. I want to talk about prayer and I want to try to 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 correct some of the misconceptions, but but add some clarity into what prayer exists to accomplish. You know, prayer is in and of itself quite a fascinating phenomenon. Every world religion has prayer as a core tenet. That, that means that, that most of the world's 7 billion inhabitants pray. Like almost every religion has some type of ritual that even accompanies their prayers. Christians are known to you know bow your heads and fold your hands. Catholics uh, light candles. They hold rosaries as they say their prayers. Native Americans uh, perform ritual dances. Hindus chant mantras, do yoga. Jews, if you've ever been to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, uh, they're at the Welling Wall. They, they're, they sway back and forth. Buddhists seclude themselves for the purposes of, of, of uninterrupted meditation. Uh, Muslims practice what's known as salat. That's the kneeling and, and the prostration towards Mecca as they pray five times a day. You know, you know, Quakers have a unique custom when it comes to, to prayer. It's, it's customary, traditional, that they, they pray in complete silence. Now, almost everyone engages in some kind of a, of a prayer life. Have you ever noticed that the majority of people actually, they struggle to define what it is they're doing, even though they're doing it? We, we, we pray, but if you ask someone to define it, they struggle to do so. And, and if you ask them, who are you praying to? They struggle with that. And then if you challenge, well, what do your prayers seek to accomplish? That That's also met with a, huh? Wikipedia defines prayer as, quote, a communication directed towards a deity, a spirit, deceased person, a lofty idea for the purposes of worshiping, requesting guidance, requesting assistance, confessing sins, or to express one's thoughts and emotions. A pretty broad definition by Wikipedia. The most common definition, actually, in my opinion, yields more confusion than Wikipedia and its broad brush. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines prayer as, quote, a petition to God. Google defines prayer as an earnest hope or wish. 
Going kind of old school, the Oxford Dictionary defines prayer as a solemn request for help. None of those three seek to define who or what you're praying to. While it's, while it's true that Scripture un, undoubtedly encourages believers, encourages us to bring our requests to the Lord, the act, though, of relegating prayer as only being this mechanism by which a person petitions God, I, I think it tragically fosters in the end more skepticism in God or misunderstanding of who God is than, than, it, than it really yields faith in God's existence. Let me give you kind of two examples here on, on how this common misconception concerning prayer produces so much confusion and, and really skepticism within our society. When I talk about skepticism, I mean, you hear it almost with every mass shooting. You know, you have a whole group of people that are like, our thoughts and prayers are going out with the victims. And then you have some of the victims and their families saying, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want you to do something as if the two are mutually exclusive. You pray because you can't do anything. Comedian George Carlin, who is who's not exactly a Christian, he made this interesting observation uh, about prayer in one of his stand-up routines. He said, suppose your prayers aren't answered. I mean, wh- what do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done, the Bible says. Fine. But if it's God's will, and he's going to do what he wants anyway, Carlin asks, why bother praying in the first place? Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. And from that outlook, it's true. In his book titled Morality, atheist Christopher Hitchens points out kind of the silliness of human beings petitioning a divine God through the mechanism of prayer. Hitchens writes, The man who prays is the one who thinks that God has arranged matters all wrong, but who also thinks he can instruct God and how to put them right. You know, I I think the, the confusion that people have about prayer can be summed up with just a a simple theorem. Follow me here. I'll go slow. First, since prayer, people believe, is the mechanism by which I make requests to God, But secondly, God doesn't seem to always answer these requests. Then it's logical for me to conclude one of of the following three things. A, well, maybe God doesn't exist. And thus, prayer is worthless, pointless. That's kind of the, the Christopher Hitchens point. Two, B, God exists, but because he doesn't answer my prayers, he, he doesn't care. And thus, in such a light, prayer is pointless. That's kind of George Carlin's point of view. Or C, maybe you could say that prayer is, is more than making requests. And if, if prayer is more than just making requests, if prayer in the context of baby John is more than just us praying for God's intervention in baby John's life, if it's more than just making requests, then, then we really should rethink the reason that we pray. Uh, I, I want to take you just very quickly to a passage of scripture that we're going to kind of play back and forth with. A, a prayer, actually, that's recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. And I'll give you just a, a little bit of quick context. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the church is born. 
the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up, preaches this incredible sermon. 3,000 souls are saved. The next day, Peter and John, they, they make their way into the temple. They see a, a, a beggar asking for money. And, and Peter, in this, this really stroke of boldness, he, he again, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And sure enough, the man stands up and walk. And then Peter teaches another sermon. They're him and John. Well, they end up getting arrested <laughs> uh, by the very group of people that had arrested Jesus and had him crucified. They were arrested, they're threatened, um, that they're not to speak, teach or speak in the name of Jesus, trying to, to, to do away with this new movement that's in its infancy. Well, ultimately, uh, Peter and John, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we're told that they're let go, and they go to their companions. These are the other disciples, the, the 120 in the upper room. And, and we're told that they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they recount what had happened. So when they heard that, when the group hears that, they all raise their voice to God with one accord and they pray. And here's the beginning of the prayer. They start off, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, now for just a minute, before we get to the rest of the prayer, consider the motivation behind their prayer. What drives them to their knees? We're told that when they heard that, like, like from the context, it seems that the main motivator for this group of people to collectively raise their voice to God with one accord was this report that Peter and John had, had given of all that the chief priests had said to them, it, that they were not to speak in the name of Jesus or face certain punishment. That's what leads to this, this spirit-led prayer. I mean, this group of believers, they're young in their faith, but they're not stupid. They knew that whatever anonymity they might have previously enjoyed had been lost by, by stirring up the hornet's nest. They, they had just pitted themselves against the most powerful and politically correct men in Israel. And while they had been commanded not to speak or to teach, Peter and John, they refused to capitulate. They said that they could not but speak the things that they had heard and seen. Therefore, opposition was unavoidable. And it's with that context, this heavy reality, that they begin to pray. We'll, we'll pause there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, Check out EnduringWord.com as well as 
blueletterbible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about prayer. And I think some of the misconceptions about prayer, and we're using a passage, a prayer actually, in, in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, to kind of set the stage for the larger conversation. Peter, John, they're arrested, they're threatened, they're released, they go back to the church, and then they pray as a group. Now, before we get to the, the, the full substance of their prayer, I think it's important that we first just take a few minutes and kind of establish a complete biblical picture of what the the Bible says, the scriptures say about prayer. The first thing that the Bible is crystal clear about as it pertains to this topic is that prayer is the mechanisms by which human beings communicate to God. God's word clearly is how God communicates to us. Prayer is the mechanism we communicate to him. According to scripture, in addition to being the apparatus by which we make known our requests, which is the truth, Philippians 4, 6. We also know that it's through prayer that a person, according to 1 John 1, 9, confesses sin to the Lord. According to James 5, 15, it's the way that we make intercession for others. According to 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, it's how we thank the Lord for his provisions. Hebrews 13, verse 15, it's prayer... That's how we praise God. It's how we can even worship him for who he is and for what he's done. Uh, Don't forget their prayer open. Lord, you are God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know, according to scripture, there are only three requirements essential for prayer. First, Psalm 66 verse 18 says that that you must approach God with a a pure heart. Uh, Then, according to John 14 verses 12 through 14, It's important that we approach God through faith, faith in Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It's a requirement. We are communicating to God through the man, our mediator, our advocate, our high priest, Jesus. Thirdly, according to 1 John 5, verse 14, we need to pray in accordance with God's will. That's why Jesus' model for prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, contrary to Catholic doctrine, it should be pointed out that the Bible only encourages us to pray to God the Father and never another human being. As Christians, we pray in the name of Jesus because the Scriptures tells us that it's through Him and Him alone that we have access to the Father, not through a saint, not through Mary. Because this communication to God is without a question spiritual, right? I mean, prayer is, is, is a spiritual act, the very nature of it. You know, it's interesting, but the Bible actually never presents a a mandate on your physical posture or uniform for prayer. Like like when you read through the scriptures, you're going to find all kinds of examples of people praying. Nehemiah prayed standing up. Ezra prayed kneeling down. In 1 Chronicles 17, we have an example of people praying while they're sitting. Exodus 34, while bowing, prostrate. 1 Timothy 2.8, we, we even have an example of people praying with lifted hands. You know, most interestingly, Scripture never says you're to actually to, to pray with your eyes closed. That, that's never mentioned. Now, now, we close our eyes when we pray to try to eliminate distractions, but the Bible never mandates you close your eyes. The, the second thing that we can say ab- about prayer from the Scripture, aside from it being the mechanism by which we communicate to God, 
Prayer is important because it's one of the principal ways humanity communes with God. So we communicate to God, but we commune with God through prayer. At 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul exhorts believers. He says to pray without ceasing. That's interesting, right? Like According to Paul and, and, and this word without ceasing, it, it would appear that prayer, as the way that we communicate with God, was not to be a scheduled activity. Like It's not something that you're just supposed to do before bedtime or before you eat a meal. It's not supposed to be a scheduled activity, but instead, prayer is described as being a continuous lifestyle. Like, think of prayer more as an attitude than an action. Prayer is a mechanism by which we explore a relationship, an interaction with our Heavenly Father, a continuous one, praying without ceasing. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes prayer as, quote, the highest activity of the human soul. I agree. Prayer. If you view it as a lifestyle, prayer is designed to do something very important. It's designed as the mechanism that enables you, the follower of God, to stay in a perpetual state of, of communion with God, community. Look no further for an example of that, of Jesus. Is there any wonder that Jesus spent more time in prayer than any other person recorded in the Bible? And you know, this is probably a good, a good point to just explain what prayer isn't. Prayer is not the mechanism by which God receives status updates on what's happening in your life. Prayer, prayer is not like the Twitter feed of heaven, as if, as if the all-seeing God of the universe needs you to keep him posted, up to date, on what's happening. As if amen was some kind of cosmic hashtag, where the more people are lifting up a request, the more likely that need starts trending grabs God's attention. Like, like prayer, you should also know, it doesn't give you a pass to gossip to God or to anybody else. We were in a prayer meeting where someone prays, but it's, it's really them just dishing dirt on what's going on in someone else's life. Like, that's not the point of prayer. I, I should also point out that, that prayer is not the mechanism by which you seek to influence God's plan for your life. As if the all-wise seeing God of the universe who knew you before the foundations of the world doesn't know what's best for you. Like he needs your counsel. Sadly, for many people, prayer is nothing more than a well-crafted business proposal that's designed to convince God to buy into your plan. Let's be real. Let's be honest. C.S. Lewis made this powerful observation. He writes in Gethsemane, the holiest of all petitioners, Jesus, prayed three times that a certain cup might pass from him. Guess what? It didn't. Friend, as Jesus himself exhorts and practiced, prayer should focus on seeing God's will done on earth and not your will accomplished in heaven. It's not you kicking down the pearly gates telling God what he needs to be doing. The great Saint Mother Teresa, she said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition to listen to his voice in the depths of our hearts. If you pray to a God, you see as, as really being nothing more than a, a genie <laughs> whose job it is to make your every wish come true. 
you are in for a crisis of faith. And here's why. That God, the genie God, doesn't exist. The God of the Bible, to to steal a, a pop cultural line, is not a genie you can rub the right way. God's sovereign. He serves at the will of no one. Not even you. And the other reason that that such a perspective of God being a genie will lead you to a crisis of faith is that that's just really not how the God of the Bible rolls. Like, realize, God is more interested in providing you the things you really need as opposed to giving you the things you really want. You know, the sad irony is that small, finite people, yeah, that's, that's you and I, our prayers often communicate at least a perspective that we know better over God who clearly knows best. You know, to be honest, to be, to be, to be transparent here, as I look back over my 35 years of, of existence, you know, I've made some requests of God through prayer. I mean, I mean, sincere requests through, through tears and snot through, through on my knees, through, through desperation, like convinced that I knew what was best for my life. Like, God, you just need to let this young lady realize that I should be her prom date or that she needs to go out with me. I know she doesn't recognize I exist, but, but you need to supernaturally step in, into the void you know, and then years later, you look back over what happened to that lady, and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, I am so glad that, that, that God didn't answer my prayer. Like, honestly, I, in retrospect, evaluating prayer life, like I'm more grateful for the requests that God didn't grant than the ones he did. I'm more gr- thankful for the times God said, no way, man, or he just ignored me than, than the times that he said, yeah, that said. If you pray, seeing this communication to God and this communion with God, an appropriate perspective of prayer, as a way that you can align your heart with God's, your will to his, your desires with his, your plans to his, if that's how you see prayer, friend, you're in for the most radical experience of your life. It'll change prayer. R.C. Sproul, he said, prayer does change things, all kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity to Him. Prayer changes things, it just changes us profoundly. Sorry, Kierkegaard, he, he correctly stated that the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Not to mention, this doesn't even begin to factor in the purifying effects that the lifestyle of prayer will have on you. John Bunyan, he said, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Don't go anywhere. We'll pick up this thought more here on the Outlaw Radio Show. As usual, Pastor Zach is challenging us in our modern thinking. Prayer is something that we sort of just take for granted as believers But how many of us have the right biblical understanding of what prayer is? Stay with us as Pastor Zach continues to unpack this topic.
Hey, thanks for coming back for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach is talking about prayer today. Here he is with more. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about prayer. Before we get back to what we're discussing, I just want to point out a few of the ways that you can connect with us, that you, the audience, can connect with me, the host. First, our email address is info at outlawradio.org. Info at outlawradio.org. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And our Twitter handle is at radio underscore outlaw. Our website, which is very important just to continue to reiterate, is outlawradio.org. And the reason that's important is that it's the easiest place that you can get the podcast. So if you're driving in the car right now, you're, you're listening on the radio, uh, you probably don't have time to listen to this episode in its entirety. That's all right. Go to the podcast, subscribe, and you can get this episode in its entirety, the full audio so that you can jump back in where you had to leave off, or you can just listen to the whole thing uh, again in, in, its, in its totality. Uh, all of our episodes are posted on the podcast. The Lord's doing a cool thing through that. Now, prayer. Getting back to the topic at hand. Looking at a prayer recorded in Acts chapter 4 as kind of an important example for us, giving us insights into the true nature of prayer. John, <clears throat> Peter, they return to the church. They explain that they had just been threatened. They've stirred up the hornet's nest. They've made enemies with the very people who had just crucified Jesus. They start their prayer, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, the, the word that we translate in the New Testament as Lord is actually two similar Greek masculine nouns. Like They both mean master, but they mean master in two different ways. The majority of the time, the, the word we read for Lord in the New Testament is actually the Greek noun kyrios. This was a, a, a title common in Greek language and, and referenced the way in which a wife or child would refer to a husband or a father, kyrios, which is the most often used for God in, in, in Jesus, was a title of honor. It was a title of endearment. It, it acknowledged God's authority, but, but it emphasized kind of God's benevolence shown to those under his authority. But in Acts chapter 4, in this prayer, this instance, we find a different word for Lord. It's actually the word despotes. This word's used less frequently in the Greek language because it referred to a way a slave would reference his master. Despotes, it's only used six times in describing God the Father. It's never used to describe Jesus, by the way. And it was a title of reference of reverence because it recognized that by the very nature of God's role as master, there were intrinsically no limitations or restraints on how he might choose to exercise that power over those in his authority. Think, think of the difference this way. In referring to God as curious or Lord, you're processing your interactions with him through the prism of a relationship with God. However, in referencing God as despotes or, or how you could translate dictator, <laughs> You're processing your interactions through a different prism, not, a, not one of relationship, but of just the pure raw power he has over you. One Greek scholar commented that despotes did no doubt ex express on the lips of the faithful who used it their sense of God's absolute disposal of his creatures, of his autocratic power more strongly than Kyrios would have done. Using the title despotes implies a more entire prostration of self before the might and majesty of God than Kyrios would have. Though it's significant, 
that this is how they begin their prayer. They continue by saying, you're God, you're Lord, you're, you're despotes, but you're also God or Theos, the one true God. And then they add some clarity to that. They define the true God as the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, all that's in them. They literally open their, praying, their prayer by saying, we recognize God, your, your majestic power, that you as our dictator, as our God, you have this power over us. It's the same power that you created the sky and the earth, the sea, and all the animals that live in them. And it's interesting, their prayer here, it affirms one of the most basic fundamental truths about God, right? That in the beginning, God created. And doing this in the context of this threat in their life, they're reminding themselves of a truth, not because they had forgotten it, but that in proportion to this mounting opposition, they needed to remember how big and powerful the God they served really was. This is why we're instructed by Jesus, not the Lord's prayer, but really the Lord's example prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Jesus even modeled this prayer in Matthew 11, verse 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but have revealed them to babes. You see, reminding yourself at the beginning of your prayer who God is, that he's your creator. It should help you contextualize what God actually does. And in turn, that reality should help you place whatever circumstance, situation, concern, request, fear into a proper perspective. Like, though I might see no solution to my pressing problem. Praying in such a way, it reminds me of of a powerful creator who's on my side and spoke all things into existence from nothing. I don't see a solution, but God can speak solutions when they don't exist. And though I might face a fierce storm, I have a powerful creator on my side who, by his very word, holds that storm together, all things that were made. Though I might, have no idea what the future holds. It's glorious to know that, that I have a creator who transcends time and space, who knows my beginning from my end. Th- their prayer continues, uh, Acts 4, verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Pause. Like, notice this progression in their prayer. They go from reminding themselves who God is to doing what? They're now focused on what God has said, who God is, what he said. This phrase that we find, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, it can be literally translated, using the mouth of your servant David, you've said. And then they quote directly from Psalms 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, I think that these believers, this first century church, they took great solace in this passage, Psalms 2, For it clearly affirmed that this opposition to Jesus and his followers was something that that God had long predicted, which meant something important, that the persecution they were now facing was not an indicator that things were spiraling out of God's control, but were actually, as much as it was difficult to admit, working according to God's plan. If If you take the time to read the rest of Psalms 2, you'll see why else they were encouraged. The rest of the chapter... continues to speak of God's judgment, judgment that would rain down on those that would persecute Jesus and his followers. I'll just read you two verses, Psalms 2, verses 4 and 5. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. 
The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress and his deep displeasure. Keeping your eyes on the person and the word of God in your prayer. It's critical to enduring the tough spots that life will inevitably throw at you because it helps you keep your fleeting, fickle emotions grounded to reality. Who God is and what he said transcends how I might feel. You know, I also find it interesting that in quoting from Psalms 2, these early Christians, they now translate the Hebrew word Lord, which was Yahweh, the unspoken name of God, into Kyrios and not Despotes. Like, though they had a healthy reverence and respect for God, these believers also here in this moment are recognizing that as a dictator, as creator, as the powerful God, he was also tender and loving and merciful. They understood that as his children, he was approachable and knowable. Please note that prayer should always balance our approachability to God with a healthy reverence of God. And you know, I'm afraid that we don't do that a lot in Christian circles. Yeah, I'm actually afraid that sometimes we're a little too cavalier and what we say and how we say it, how we, how we approach God. Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he's, our, he's much more than that. Back to the, the passage at hand. Verse 27, for, for truly against your holy servant Jesus they prayed, you, uh, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose is determined before to be done. For these believers, two quick realities came into focus. One, if Jesus was persecuted, why, I mean, really, why should they have expected anything different? And secondly, if everything had taken place was under God's control, then why should they view their current state of affairs any differently? We're approaching a hard break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to finish our examination of this prayer and conclude with some some final thoughts. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're discussing the topic of prayer. In order to gain some clarity about prayer, correcting some misconceptions, we're looking at a prayer recorded in Acts chapter 4. We're midstream, verse 29 of Acts 4. They continue. They say, now, Lord, look on our threats. And, And those threats were real. The religious establishment had just threatened them not to even speak the name of Jesus. They say, look to our threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Check out how how their prayer worked here. After taking time to consider who God was, the creator, and what God had to say, his word, they were able to then 
look at the big picture, right? And, and looking at the big picture, they were given perspective on their situation. And what that meant is that when they finally get around to the petition that we just read, their request, what do they ask God for? They ask that God would not eliminate the opposition, that God would not uh, remove the opposition, that God wouldn't temper the opposition, that God wouldn't give them a, a way of escape from it, but instead that God would grant them boldness to speak his word. You see, because they prayed correctly and understood the purposes of prayer, in the process, what happened? What resulted? They were able to align their hearts with that of their fathers. So much so that when they finally got around to like actually asking something, they didn't ask for the wrong thing or something that would, be, would have been inappropriate. Instead, they asked that God would just grant them now what they actually really needed. Sure, what would they have wanted? Well, they would have wanted, you know, the religious leaders to back off. But, but in praying appropriately and correctly, they realized that what they needed was just strength to stand in boldness in the face of opposition. You know, instead of asking God to remove whatever that storm is brewing on your horizon, you know, it's been said, you know, people really fit into three categories. We're either people approaching a storm in a storm or leaving a storm storms are a part of life and instead of asking god to to remove storms this prayer should encourage you to pray that god might instead grant you what you need and that is strength to endure recognizing that god is in control of the storm the passage it it kind of concludes verse 31 that, that when they prayed The place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Wow. You know, we're told in James chapter 5 that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That coming before God in prayer, in the manner that Jesus instructed, in this instance and in our instance, it had successively tuned their hearts to the will of God so that they knew what to ask for. And because they knew what to ask for, boldness, what did God do? He answered their prayer and granted their request. He gave them boldness. They were filled with the Spirit. And this fresh filling gave them the strength to stand and the boldness to speak. I don't know you. You're listening. I don't know what you're going through. My guess is at some point, it's likely that that you feel as though your prayers aren't being answered. Brandon and I prayed for little John the moment we found out what was going on. And things went from from really bad to really, really bad. And then we, we kept praying and things went from really, really bad to bleak. And and it's 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 not it's not abnormal to feel as though God isn't listening. And in those moments, you can have crises of faith. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe God doesn't care. But, but may I ask you, could it be that, that the requests that are dominating your prayers aren't being answered because you're not asking for the right thing? Like, if you want to see your prayers avail much, may I encourage you to, to rethink why it is you're praying in the first place? Like, God wants to be your heavenly father, not your heavenly genie. 
God desires to have children who are more interested in a relationship, a communion, a connection with him than they are seeing him as as this divine entity they get things from. Yes, prayer might be the mechanism by which you communicate with God, but it's not the mechanism by which you make demands or assimilate information. Prayer, as it's described, the highest activity of the human soul, is the mechanism by which we connect with and relate to and walk with the living God. It's the way that we surrender our will to His. It's the mechanism by which we seek to gain what we need most. And this is, this is what you need most. What prayer helps you most, it's gaining a heavenly perspective on your earthly circumstance. Which again is why you should rethink the way in which you pray. When you spend more time in prayer worshiping God for who he is, when you spend more time in prayer contemplating the truth of his word, When you allow this communion with God to help set your present situations into a heavenly context, it's then and only then that something amazing will happen in your own heart. You'll actually know what to ask for. And when you know what to ask for, I promise you something radical will happen. You'll begin to see God work in ways in powerful ways, in tangible ways, in real ways you've never, ever seen before. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, and it's loaded with promises, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Back to baby John. Did God heal miraculously baby John? Absolutely. Proofs in the pudding. The evidence abundant. Even unbelievers privy to this particular situation find what happened to be inexplainable. But we know what happened. God touched that little boy and healed him. Did God heal that little boy because of our prayers? And and to answer that, I would say no. Think about that. If, if, If God healed him because of our prayers, then he wouldn't have healed him if we hadn't prayed. How fair would that have been to baby John? Is that really the God that you know? That his goodness is predicated upon something that you're doing? That's not grace at all. God healed John, and I believe was going to heal John whether we prayed or whether we didn't pray. Now the question is, is then what good was praying? Oh, it was so good. Because in the act of praying for baby John and praying for Brandon and Amy and and this new mom and dad. We were spending time with Jesus. We were before the throne of God. And in doing so, God was giving us a heavenly perspective of this situation. No matter what happened, God was in control, and we could see that. And regardless of what happened, His grace would remain sufficient. His goodness would remain intact. 
prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It's helping us see how God's will works here on earth. And I can tell you that from these prayers, our church saw a miracle. And it would be wrong for us to take a step back and say, we did it. Our prayers did it. High fives. No, 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 no. God did it. But our prayers helped us process what was going on and the way that God wanted us to see it. And for Brandon and Amy, they got to see a miracle. And they grew closer, not just to each other, but to the Lord. Prayer. Consider prayer. But pray the right way. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things for me. First, contact your local radio station. like Wherever you're listening, whatever that frequency is, figure out who runs that. Contact them. And tell them that you're thankful that they're carrying this type of programming in your community. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to visit our website, outlawradio.org. Again, outlawradio.org. And from the site, you can easily access our podcast, which is available on both iTunes. It's also available on Google Play. You can listen to this episode or all the previous episodes. Additionally, let me again encourage you to connect with me. Uh, Twitter, at radio underscore outlaw. You can send me an, e- an email at info at outlawradio.org or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.